Hello, Harvest Community Church. How y'all doing today? It's good to be with you. Jack, I thought you did fantastic, buddy. Man, listen, this guy had an hour and a half sermon on his iPad, and, and he kept needing to like whittle it down and get it smaller and smaller, and he's like, I got it to like a half hour, and we're like, we need 10 minutes, and I think he like landed the plane perfectly. It was awesome to hear all the next updates, right, about your church, because here's the beautiful thing. We get to be a part of what God's doing. Now, God works through us, and, and that's, a, that's a joy, that's a privilege. And so to be a part of that and, and really seek to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere is everyone's part, right? But we heard last week, as Pastor Mike was saying, only God does that ultimately, right? But he does it through people through faithful people, through people who love him, through people just like you and I. And so it's a joy to partner with him in that. But he called me illustrious, and now I get to do the most important thing, right? So thank you, Jack. That was very kind of you. Um, Which is get to the word of God, because Jesus is king. He's the hero of the story. We want to hear what he has to say. So let's get started with that as we continue in the book of Mark. Listen, Jesus has just finished a long day of teaching. If you've been here the last couple weeks, then you know he started to teach and preach through parables. And that was actually one very long day. And he was teaching about the kingdom of God through parables by the Sea of Galilee. And now it's time to see if the disciples are actually learning, if they're picking up what Jesus is laying down, because Jesus is actually ready to set sail and head across the sea to a new area. And as they do, Jesus wants to catch up on some rest, and we're going to see a very familiar and and actually loved story in our text today. So turn with me to Mark 4, 35 through 41. And I'm going to read. You can follow along. It says, On that day... When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him, and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So so as you look at this text, I want you to notice three things. You're going to notice that there's a great storm, right? That there's a great calm, And that there's a great fear. And that's really what we're going to be working through as we look at this text today. So if you remember, as as we've been learning through the book of Mark, you know that Jesus has flexed his muscles on over unclean spirits. He's shown his authority. He's he's actually healed paralytics. He's healed lepers. He's, He's actually done all of that with a word. And he's called his disciples to follow them. And he and he they have. But what we see now is he actually shows that he has authority over nature, over the sea, over wind, over waves. And and up until this point, his disciples have really enjoyed pretty smooth sailing with Jesus. Everywhere he goes, it's pretty much awesome. Like they're the entourage, right? So what's Jesus going to do today? So when he says, come with me, they're probably very excited to do that. 
So when Jesus says, we're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they're like, awesome, can't wait to see what we encounter there. But what they find themselves in is a great storm, and it's bad. And you know it's bad because they're freaking out. And they're not, you know, they're used to a storm. They're used to the Sea of Galilee. But this is not supposed to happen, right? Like when you follow Jesus, everything's supposed to be awesome, right? No, not really. See, the disciples were obeying Jesus. And, and, and as they are obeying him, they're noticing that it's not all blue skies and easy sailing, right? No, Jesus has led them into trouble, like, it's not like Jesus didn't know there's just not going to be this like, great storm. No, he knows. And yet, he leads them there. And they follow. And, and so that's our first point. Jesus leads people that he loves into storms in order to test their faith. That's so strange to think about, right? Because this is not the Jesus that many self-help Christian books or even some preachers and teachers want to present to the world. No, they want to present a much safer version of Jesus. As many, matter of fact, many times when you hear this text preached or taught, it's, it's much in the context of, hey, having a bad life, come to Jesus. He'll fix it. He'll make it better. Everything will be awesome. The sun will come out tomorrow. I won't sing for you. But here's the deal. That's not what happens to these men. They come to Jesus and now they're in a storm and it's really bad and they think they're going to die. And so like when you come to Jesus, it doesn't mean all the storms of your life will cease. And yet there's truth to this, right? Come to Christ and you'll have peace. But the peace that's described there is peace with God. It doesn't mean you're going to have peace with man on earth. As a matter of fact, you won't. Many, many times it's come to Jesus and have trouble, but your greatest problems are resolved in the cross. And so when Jesus calls them to come, we should not think that it's strange that storms arrive in our life. You come to Christ, you're going to endure sickness at times. You're going to suffer. You're going to lose people you love. And you're going to have times where you have dreams and they're smashed. And things don't turn out the way you want them to. And that's not how many people think about coming to Christ. No, I come to him, everything's supposed to be awesome. But that's not what the Bible teaches. If you read the Bible, you would, you'd be hard-pressed to try to come to that conclusion. Because many people come to him and life gets harder. So what's the point? Well, see, the Jesus of the Bible is much more complex than one that the world wants to present, right? To say that to come to Christ and the storms in your life will cease. There's some truth to that. You can come to him and things can get better. But it's not promised like that and it's not always reality. It, presenting a Christ like that or even thinking that that's the Jesus you worship is, is really not gonna serve you well. Think with me. The, the disciples here, they're obeying Christ. Many times people think if I obey, good things happen. It's always good to obey. Make no mistake about it. But sometimes obeying Jesus and going and sharing the gospel in hard-pressed places will get you killed. It will get you tortured. It will get you persecuted. Does that mean that God is not good? No, he's infinitely good. So what are we to learn? Well, they're in a great windstorm. And think about it. These guys, at least four of them, are, are absolutely 
like used to the sea. Andrew, Peter, James, and John. They were all fishermen. They were familiar with the sea. Jesus is like crashed out on a cushion taking a nap. And my guess is they're not worried about that. Why? Because they're the fishermen. He's the carpenter. Take a nap, Jesus. But as they go, it gets really funky out there. So bad, they're freaking out. And now they're getting ready to wake him up because we're perishing. See, these men probably thought that like these days, like the bad storms and being on the sea, they're behind us. Now we're following Jesus. And even if we have a bad day, like let's say I chop my finger off, he'll just pick it up, put it back on. This is Jesus. We've seen what he can do. Why should we be afraid? And yet, Jesus leads these men into trouble. It's so funny. And it's into an area that they should be used to, which I love because in that moment, they probably feel very self-sufficient, but they're dependent. They need him. And my guess is, if you think about it, that's probably true to your life. Now, maybe it's not on the Sea of Galilee, but maybe you've come to Christ and storms have arose in your life. Maybe trials have come your way. You come to Jesus and you think everything's going to get better and actually things seemingly get worse. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while and you're attending church service and you're seeking to obey him. You're reading your Bible. You're praying. Maybe you've like went all in and like you're in a community group and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But, but as you do that, life still continues to be difficult. Maybe that's where you find yourself right now. Maybe you're in a storm and it doesn't make any sense because I'm doing what you're telling me to do, Jesus. And yet here I am. And it's bad. Well, that's exactly what's happened with the disciples. And look how they respond. They say, teacher, Jesus, do you not care? Do you not care that we're perishing? We are dying here. Like there's water coming into the boat. No doubt they're trying to get rid of that. And you're sleeping. Do you not care? And you got to think about like, whoa, like what? Have you forgot who you're talking to? Right? Do you not care? And yet... We don't know their tone, but I can tell you it's not cool, calm, and collected. I mean, think about it. They are frantic, right? And, and no doubt they're terrified. At best, they're frustrated. At worst, they're angry because here he is. He's sleeping. He's crashed out. Why is he not doing something? Because it's not like they don't think he, he they know he could do something, but he's not. And so why is he not? Why is he not? Do you not care, Jesus? Do you not see us in need? We know you could do something, but you're sleeping, which is strange, right? Can you feel the desperation in their question? Because I can. And and they're not questioning whether he can. They know he can. What they're questioning is, do you love us? Do you not see us? Do you not care about us? Maybe you've been there, right? Lots of people say, yes, there's a God, and he's sovereign, and he's powerful. And, and they don't question that. But what they question is, do you love me? Do you see me? And if you do, why aren't you doing something? I remember even as a lost man, I, I, there was never a time I didn't believe there was a God, okay? So even as an unsaved man, I knew there was a God. I just didn't know him, and I didn't have a relationship with Christ. And I remember a very dark season of my life. I knew that God could do something, but he wasn't doing it the way I thought he should. And so I really began to think like, okay, I can't convince myself you're not real. Okay. I'm just, I can't go that dumb. So you're real and I know you're powerful 
And yet you're not doing what I think is right and good, so therefore you must not love me. I remember thinking those thoughts. Maybe you've thought those thoughts. Maybe you think them now. See, here's the thing. Have you ever thought in a weak moment that Jesus doesn't care about you or love you? Because if he did, he'd make the pain stop. Because I know he can do it. But he's not doing it. My guess is that we've all been there one time or another. So the question comes, well, then why does he do that? Is he cruel? Is he cruel to do that? Obviously not. He's obviously not cruel. So what's going on here? Well, see, Jesus has actually placed these men in a particular situation to cause them to be tempted to think that he doesn't love them. Now, Jesus is not tempting them that way, but what he is doing is he's putting them in a pressure cooker. Let's see if you're learning the parables I'm teaching you. Let's see if you're picking up what I'm laying down because you're getting a lot of head knowledge. I need to see if you're ready to practice it. And so there they are. He's been teaching them all along, but here's their chance to exercise their faith. Here's their chance to see, are they truly learning? And guess what? He does the same thing to you and I. Look at James 1, 2 through 4. It's a very common text, but he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith, it, it produces something, it does something, it produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Why? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, I mean, do you get it? When Jesus calls you to follow him, this does not exempt you from storms or from trials. As a matter of fact, it actually, it actually guarantees them. You're going to have trials. You're going to have storms. The question is, are you learning? Are you learning that God's for you? Are you learning that he's with you? Are you learning that everything that comes into your life has had to come through the providential hand of God and that he is still good? That he will force it to your ultimate good so that you could be more like him, so that your faith could be real. It can be genuine. It can be perfect. You can lack nothing in your faith. That's what's happening. Because if there's no resistance to your life, you would not press into God. Many times it's through the trials and the sufferings that we draw near closest in those moments, even though they're not pleasant. And know this, Jesus is not trying to destroy them or you through these trials or through these storms. But instead, he's, he's actually growing us into be the very people he has created us and saved us to be. He's creating us to be more like him. And that happens through challenges. And this is how life with Jesus works. If someone's told you something else, sorry, it's, it's garbage. It's not true. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And yet, He's our treasure and he's sufficient and he's enough and he'll help you. He allows his people to go through storms, even leads them into it as we see here in this text. But he never abandons us, ever. And he always forces it to our ultimate good. Isn't it good to know that none of your suffering is ever for without a reason? But God will use it. He will force it to your good and to his glory and ultimately to the joy of the people that come in contact with you. You can trust him. He will lead you through it, right? And, and storms, man, storms and trials in life, they're not pleasant. Not, they're not even good in and of themselves, but what God accomplishes in them is good. And therefore we can trust him. 
Going through storms in life is an opportunity to gain the most valuable thing in all the world, and that is a deeper trust and a better understanding of your God. It's a stronger faith. It's a better understanding of the good news of Christ. It's a greater trust in the person and work of Jesus. This is why you count it all joy. The trial is not like, woo, I'm suffering. This is awesome. That's not what it means. Like count it all joy. No, you can count it joy because it's not wasted. He's using it. He's using it. He's forcing it to your good. And in the middle of the storm in the boat, you might not see it. But when he pulls you through, oh, you'll respond with your good. I should have trusted you. I knew you were working good. And here's the thing. That might not happen until you stand face to face with him. You might suffer till the day you die. But you might not. It might always just be sunny and care bears popping up wherever you go. Chances are probably not. Probably not. I wouldn't count on it. But if suffering comes, you can know that your God is working for you. Isn't that good to know? See, a faith that is complete and lacking nothing is what we want, but it comes through trial. See, Jesus is going to bring you into storms. He's going to bring storms into your life. And that moment, many times you're going to find yourself, Jesus, where are you? Do you not see me? Do you not care? And that's where these men are. But remember, he's testing you. He's testing you. And, and, and just when you think you're going to sink to like the bottom of the abyss, then you're reminded, no, my God's for me. He's with me. He will force this to my good. I can trust him. He Why? Because he knows what it's like to be in a storm as a human. As a human. He has endured. He has cried out to his father. He knows what it's like to feel abandoned in a moment. He knows what it's like to have friends who he deeply loved betray him. He's put on flesh. What a good God we have. And you, my friends, we can trust him. Why? Because he's powerful. Which brings us to the next point. The next, the next piece of scripture anyway. Look at verse 39 with me. It says, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I mean, Jesus has real power. Do you realize that? He is God almighty in the flesh, in that boat. And when he speaks, things happen. He says, peace, be still. And the storm is done. Have you ever been near an ocean when there's a storm raging? Even when the storm moves through, it's not like, okay, let's take the boat out, Johnny. No, waves are still crashing in. It takes sometimes hours, sometimes days, and even weeks for the storm to cease and for the waves to stop. But not when Jesus says, it's done now. See, I've seen this in real life. Not the peace be still, but the storm moved through and the waves still come. But that's not how Jesus works. He says it and nature obeys. And they're like, who is this man? See, it doesn't slowly settle down. No, it turns to like a sheet of glass. Could you imagine in that moment, whew, what would that be like? See, no matter what storm you actually find yourself in right now, it's no comparison to the power of Christ. See, it's not primarily, this story is not primarily about the disciples. It's about the power of Christ. Do you see 
Jesus as the Son of God who has authority over nature? That's the question because that's what's going on here. Jesus speaks, nature obeys. Jesus does what only God can do, and that's the point of the text. See, they, you, don't miss this. The disciples still do not know Jesus is Messiah, but he's peeling back the curtain. He's showing more of who he is. They, they are now wondering, like, who is this man who can do that? And it would have to make them think about their Bible, the Old Testament, right? Who is it that can take a nap on the boat, get up, tell the storm to knock it off, and the storm listens? Well, actually, they would know the Bible. And so if you look at Psalm 89.9, You'll see that it says, you, God, rule the raging of the sea. When its waters and waves rise, you steal them. That's exactly what's happening in that boat right now. Or how about Psalm 107, 23 through 32? Listen as I read this whole text. And I want you to think about the text we're in today and this one, because boy, do they sure look like they fit together really well. Listen as I read. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and that he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders." Man, I love this text, and as I look at this, like in this text, God is stirring up a great windstorm on the sea to the point that sailors' courage are melting like ice on hot blacktop, and then they cry out to God, help us, and he shows up. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Mark right now. And here's the thing, he's not just powerful, although he is powerful. He's not just sovereign, although he is sovereign. He's good. He's full of mercy. He's full of steadfast love. And man, we see that here. So this is your next point on your map. By calming the storm, Jesus' disciples displays that he is not just someone who possesses power. He is God Almighty in the flesh who has authority over the forces of nature. So Jesus deals with the storm. But now he's going to turn to his disciples. And so I want to look at that. And then then the disciples, I want to see how they respond to this great display of power. So let's look at them one at a time. And that's where we're going to work till the end. So Jesus turns to the disciples and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Which I, listen, that's a strange question. If you're about to drown and die and the captain's sleeping on a cushion, I think you probably have some reason to be afraid, Right? And then he says, have you still no faith? (laughs) I mean, Jesus rebukes the storm, and now he's rebuking his disciples. Remember, the disciples have spent a good bit of time with him. They've seen him do amazing things, and yet their faith is still less than stellar, right? 
And it would be easy to like jump on that bandwagon and be like, man, if I'd been there, I'd been like cap nap. Like I would have been crashed out on the cushion next to Jesus. I wouldn't have worried about a thing because Jesus is in the boat. But even now we have more knowledge than actually the disciples had at that time. And our faith is not like rock star status. It takes much less than like a great windstorm to get me shook at times, right? To like, to, to cause me to think, oh, I'm starting to feel anxious, fearful. Where are you? Which I love because, so don't jump on the disciples back in condemnation because we've been there. You're there at times if you could be honest with yourself in that moment, which is why I'm so thankful that Jesus, he's patient. He's patient with his disciples. He's full of mercy. Like when it comes to his followers, Jesus is fully aware of your shortcomings. He knows them. He knows that you lack hope at times. He knows that your love does not meet all the qualifications of 1 Corinthians 13. Your love is not always patient and neither is mine, but his is. He knows that you're not always full of mercy, but your God is. He knows that we have defects in our faith and, and which is good news that he doesn't just throw us overboard, right? That's not what he does with his disciples. He, he does give them a sharp little correction, but he's patient. He's full of grace. This is a God of steadfast love. He's not shocked in this moment. He's patient. He's teaching them. He, doesn't, uh, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Man, am I thankful for that. He... It's not our great faith that keeps us in Christ. It's that we have a great God and he keeps us there. Our faith is shaken often and yet he wants our faith to grow. And so he he puts us in these moments to shake us a little bit, but then to show up and remind us, I'm powerful, I'm good, you can trust me. And as that happens, our faith begins to grow. And we start to realize, yeah, I don't have to be as afraid as I always am because I have a great God and he's with me. See, Jesus is severe with sinners when it comes to dealing with those who have not repented and come to trust him for salvation. But he's not like that for those who are trusting in him and yet fail in their faith. He's patient. He's kind. He's loving. He's good. So Jesus followers, listen, this is your next fill in the blank. Jesus followers must know that when Jesus is in the boat with us, there's absolutely nothing to fear. Therefore, we must be courageous in the face of life's storms. See, it's not all that surprising to think about how Jesus responded to the disciples. I don't think it is anyway. But I do think it's interesting or strange even how they respond to him. So look with me again at verse 41. It says, and they were filled with what? Great fear, like great fear. And they said to one another, who is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is strange. Like they are no longer fearing the storm, but they're terrified of Jesus, right? Like I would think that if this happened in that moment and all the storm was like ceased, he said, shut up, it listened. I'm gonna be like, that was awesome, high five. I'm like, this is great. Like, why are we freaking out? This is a good day. But that's not how they respond. Doesn't that make sense? Don't you think that's how you'd respond? No, they go from afraid to really afraid. That's strange, but it's really not because see, here's what's going on. The presence 
of Jesus' supernatural power is frightening to them. See, it's even more frightening to them than this destructive storm. They have just come in the presence, which they've always been in the presence, of this powerful, sovereign, transcendent God in the flesh. And it has caused them to be afraid. And when you come in the presence of the holiness of God, that happens. And that's exactly what they're dealing with. So you, you, you might think it would be the other way around, but if you've ever saw God in, in and through his word or in your life show up in a powerful way, it reminds you, you are creature. And he is creator. And it causes us, or it should cause us, to hit our face because we are reminded he is far greater than I could have ever imagined. Oh, Lord, forgive me. See, this great display of power is not actually reassuring to them because they've encountered the power of God. And and there's a great lesson for us in this, and and I hope you get it. So let's talk about fear for a moment, right? I know none of you struggle with it, so this will be just beneficial for me and maybe one other person. Yeah, the laughter reminds us everybody here struggles with fear. We really do. Now, different levels at different times, but in a fractured and sin-filled world, there's reasons to be afraid, if we can be honest, right? The fact that the disciples were afraid is actually not sinful, but the fact that they were ruled by their fear instead of their faith is a problem. It's a problem. See, when the fear of the storm caused them to question the love of Christ, that's when it became a problem. There are plenty of reminders uh, all around us that we live in a broken world, right? Can we agree with that? I think it's pretty easy to see. If we watch the news, we see violent crimes. We see things that just cause us to like want to turn away, and maybe we should. We see corrupt politicians. We see people we love die, and and on and on and on. And, And we've all been touched by the brokenness of this world. Some of us have been touched far greater. We don't all suffer the same, but everybody suffers at some point and in some way. And because of this, it would actually be ridiculous to think that like when all the trials of life are happening and the storms are raging, that we should just be like, hey, no fear, right? Yippee skippy, put a lollipop in your mouth and just walk around singing, you know, what, you know sun's gonna come out tomorrow. Like that'd be foolishness. And I think some people think that's how it is when the biblical call to not fear is applied. You should not be afraid. Do not fear. But I got to tell you something like the call to biblical faith over fear does not require you to be stupid. It doesn't require you to do that. And you'd have to be stupid to think that I'm never going to be afraid. It's what do you do when you are afraid that matters. The fact that they're afraid isn't strange. The fact that they went from afraid to thinking that God in the flesh does not love them is a problem. And so here's what we have. I mean, there's moments when you and I are going to be afraid. And even that at times that can be a healthy thing. If you're hanging out on 422, which I think is really stupid, and a semi truck's coming towards you and you get really afraid and you jump off the road, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But here's the thing. There are fears that are unhealthy, that do not honor God. And it's when we're ruled by fear and not faith in God. See, fear can overwhelm you. 
And it does. And it causes you to think that at times like God doesn't care about me. He doesn't see me. Because here's the deal. Fear distorts your thinking. It really does. It has you start to look inward. It starts to have you talk to yourself instead of going to the promise of God and getting the word of God into you. See, fear can cause you to forget ultimately who you are, but even more than that, whose you are. Do you, ha- you have to remember in the moments of fear when the fear kicks in and you are ready to just curl up and cry and you might need to do that. But somebody hopefully will come along and remind you, your God's for you, he's with you. You don't need to be afraid no matter how this thing ends. But the problem is, is fear makes God look small and it makes your storms look huge, right? Isn't that what happens to you in the midst of fear, in the midst of trials? God just seemingly shrinks and that thing becomes huge, it's kind of like Tom and Jerry, right? Like Tom's coming around the corner. He got the little flashlight behind the mouse and, and it's like this big shadow and like the cat comes around, he runs. That's like fear so many times, especially when you're in Christ because ultimately he's more than sufficient. And that's our last point. See, Jesus followers are not without fear. Instead, we overcome our fear by fearing the one who is sovereign over the storm. See, fear is only conquered by fear. You gotta get that, or you'll always be afraid. Fear of God is ultimately the solution here. It's only when we fear God that that, that, that actually has the power to destroy all the other fears in our life because they get put in proper order. It's only when we fear God Almighty, greater than anything that you and I are facing, that we can be freed from the fear of this life that sometimes can paralyze you and I. See, Jesus is Lord over all things that might cause you fear. He's greater than all of them, and therefore, we can just submit ourselves to him and know that he is good. So think about the things that cause you fear, right? It could be spiders. It could be fear of failure. It could be rejection. It could be change. It could be losing control or inadequacy. It could be uncertainty. It could be that like things in your marriage right now are not good. It could be your children and what's going to happen with them. They're in the home. They're freaking out. I don't know what's going to happen. Now they're out of the home. I'm freaking out. And all these other things. Are they going to come to love Jesus? I don't know. Why did you just punch your brother? And all these things that cause you fear. I think I'm a terrible parent. Ah! You've ever been there? There's all sorts of reasons around you to be afraid. And then you got like the big C word, cancer, and then even death. Did you know that the number one command that's most repeated in the Bible is fear not? Number one, if you do a search, you'll see it's all over the Bible. But, but here's the thing, many people... We'll use that like it's like some Xanax. Like, so you're terrified and there's a reason to be afraid. And they say, brother, don't fear. Mm, That's not helping, right? Because here's the deal. In the Bible, generally, when you see fear not or do not fear, right near it, you're gonna see a reason as to why you don't need to be afraid. And you know what it is? Because I am with you. Do you realize, like, Jesus is in the boat with these men. That's why they don't need to be afraid. But, but here's the deal. You and I are so much further than that in that moment because the disciples, man, they're, 
you're going to see that their faith's going to fail again over and over through the book of Mark. It's going to happen, I promise you. But, and they're going to look like cowards at times. They really are. But these same men in the book of Acts, they're going to be like, man, it was awesome. We got beat today for sharing the gospel. Jesus is awesome. How did they go from cowards to courageous for the sake of the gospel? How? Seriously. How did they do that? Well, a couple of things. A couple of things. Peter was terrified at the night that Jesus was going to be crucified, that he would deny Jesus three times. But that same man would now have courage of steel to say, if you're going to crucify me, do not crucify me in the way that you killed my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And they did, according to church history. How did that man go from that to that? And I'll answer it for you because it's pretty simple. He saw Jesus get up from the grave. How do you scare someone who knows they can't die? Cancer doesn't have the power to take your life. Jesus owns your life. He's sovereign over it. And you may lose your physical life, but if you're in Christ, you go from this life to the presence of God and you experience real life for eternity. Did you realize? And then they, they have a helper Oh, do not forget, like, you have the Holy Spirit of God. That's way better than Jesus in a boat. He's in you. Not like Prego, but it's like even better. Right? Like, he's in you. You're in Christ. You can trust him. That's real power. That's how these men went from cowards to courageous. It's not because they were all of a sudden zapped into awesomeness. No, God Almighty is in them. But he's in you. He's in you. If you're in Christ, he is in you. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is now at work in all who believe. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Are you trusting that? See, Jesus, man, he's so awesome. He is more powerful than any storm that you and I will ever endure or come into. Do you trust that? And he is Man, he has actually endured the greatest storm that you were actually heading to until he interrupted and rescued you. And that was the storm of God's wrath. Do you realize that's your greatest problem? But if you're in Christ, that problem's been resolved because Jesus stepped into that storm and he absorbed all of your wrath that was in and heading towards you because you have rebelled and sinned against God. And yet Jesus comes on a rescue mission. And how does he rescue you? He lives a perfect life. He goes to the cross and he dies the death that you and I deserve. And in that moment, all the wrath that was stored up to you and I was poured out on him so that then all who trust in Jesus in his perfect life, in his perfect death, and in his resurrection, he gives to you a big old gift of righteousness. So now the wrath of God is no longer on you because he has swallowed it up. And what you get is the delight of God Almighty who just looks upon you with such approval and such love. Why? Because you have the righteousness of Christ. You're as holy as him in the moment that you trust in him. And that should blow your mind. And, and listen, don't believe me. Look at the text. I'm going to bring you to one last text for the day. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. Look with me. 
It says, for God has not destined us for wrath. That's good news. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, that's really, really good news. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or whether we are asleep, we might live with him. That's, that's really great news, church. It's really great news. There, so all your fear as it comes has to be shoved through that particular lens. What can this world do to you? At best, kill you. But Paul would say to die is gain. And I'm telling you, if you could taste one ounce of what he's talking about, you would say, oh, Lord Jesus, come now or call me home. But until you do, I'm going to labor. I'm going to pour myself out in glad submission because I want more people to know you. You are worthy of all worship. I don't need to be afraid. You have swallowed up all the fear and you're with me and I am trusting that you will never leave me. You'll never forsake me. And so God, when these fears come and when I start to be afraid and when I start to stare at my navel, will you remind me in your kindness that you're for me, that that you love me, that you have power over all things, and I don't need to be afraid because you have done everything and your grace is sufficient. Amen. It's sufficient. So we can trust him. See, Jesus enduring the perfect storm of God's wrath is far worse than anything you and I will ever endure. So when you're having a storm or a trial and you're tempted to think that God doesn't love you, you have to look to the cross. It's the greatest display of love you'll ever understand or imagine if you believe. Because as you see that, you're reminded what you deserve. When you see Jesus beaten and bloody and naked and nailed to a cross, that's what your goodness on your best day deserves. And yet he went there. Why? Because he loved the world. He came to save the world. And so no matter what storm comes, he swallowed up the greatest storm so I'm never going to question your love. And when I do, oh Lord, please be merciful to me, a sinner, and remind me of your great love. Cause me to look to your goodness. Fill me with greater faith. Because faith's a gift. Give me grace and mercy to trust you in the, in the dark nights of disillusionment. Because no matter what, they're all going to cease one day when you stand before him. And your life is just a mist. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, and then comes glory, and you're in the presence of God Almighty forever and ever. And so therefore, just like these disciples said, they said, who then is this? Who is this who can stop the wind and the waves? Who that man is, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loves you, came and died in your place, resurrected from the grave, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and calls everyone right now to repent, to come to him, to trust him, and to enjoy life with God forever because of what he has done on the cross in your place. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.